Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on Southcrest Live, featuring Dr. David Wilson, we continue our study called Hope, a series in 1 Peter. We're in chapter 5 today, verses 8 and 9. In this passage, Peter deals with the threat of the believer's greatest enemy, Satan. While much of the modern world doesn't even believe in a literal devil anymore, the apostle makes it abundantly clear that not only is he real, but that he has a very specific agenda towards unbelievers, believers, and the church. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter 5 and listen to this week's message, The Believer at War, from Pastor David Wilson. If you have your Bibles, open to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, today and next Sunday we'll be finished preaching through 1 Peter. I have two verses to read today. Would you, out of respect for God's word, stand while I read? The word of God says in verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Heavenly Father, today we ask you to encourage and strengthen and convict, draw closer all of our hearts to you. Help us to understand that you have the victory, but yet there's still an enemy and that we're still at war. So we ask that you speak to us, give us something to take home and to live out this week in our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It was amateur boxers night, first fight for this boxer. He was getting beat to a pulp by his opponent. Mercifully, the bell rang at the end of round one, and as he was in the corner, his trainer was encouraging him. His trainer said, man, you're doing great. He hasn't hardly laid a glove on you. Here's some water, and get out there and get him. Boxer went out. The second round was even worse than the first. In fact, he was knocked down, and had it not been for the bell, he would have lost. But on the count of nine, the bell rang. And so the trainer went out and drug him back over to the corner and toweled him off and said, you've got him right where you want him now. You're doing great. You're in great shape. He hasn't hardly touched you. Get out there and put him away. Third round wasn't much different. The boxer was lucky to stagger back to his corner at the bell, and both eyes were nearly swollen shut. His mouth was bleeding. There was a cut above one of his eyes, and the trainer, still trying to encourage him, said, man, he's hardly hit you at all, barely laid a glove on you. I think you can take him this round. Now get out there and get him. The boxer said, he may not have laid a glove on me, but you better look at the referee because somebody's beating the daylights out of me. (laughs) You ever feel like that? You ever feel like somebody just beat the daylights out of you, spiritually speaking, emotionally? You and I are in a war. First Peter is about people suffering, going through difficult times. And it's interesting that right at the conclusion of this letter, he reminds them of the real reason of suffering and the real reason of persecution because of Satan. 
because of the demonic forces. Jesus never did underestimate Satan. He never underestimated him, but he wasn't afraid of him. And so today we're going to talk about us being at war and what Peter has to tell us. And the first thing you'll notice, he told us to be alert the alertness of the believer to be awake. And you'll notice the first two verbs in verse 8, be sober and be vigilant. Now, these are King James, New King James Version translations. That be, be sober. It's a razor-sharp mindset. To be awake is an anticipation that you're going to be attacked. If you ever walk through a, a spook house or one of those fun houses where you know somebody's going to scare you, you ever walk through one of those? Why we pay money to go in and have somebody scare the dickens out of us, I don't know, but we do. And so we, you go in and you immediately know it's just a matter of time. Somebody's going to jump out and scare you. And so you're walking through soberly. That's what it means. You're, wide, you're, you're alert. You're looking. That's the way we're supposed to be. And the other word, watchful, or be vigilant, means to be watchful, but it's the contrast of being asleep. It's, it's, it, it means to wake up and know what's going on. Both of these verbs are imperatives. They're not suggestions. You do, you do know the difference. Did you know the difference with your parents, especially your dad, between a suggestion and an imperative and for those of you who don't know what an imperative is, it's a command. I knew the difference. It didn't take me long to learn when my dad told me to do something or my mom told me to do something. I knew the difference between a suggestion and a command. These are commands. You don't have any choice. You've got to wake up and know what's going on in your life. Just because you have Christ in your life doesn't mean you're not ever going to be attacked again. You need to be alert to recognize. Would you, would you recognize the devil if you saw him? Probably not. What does he look like? We don't really know. But in your mind, when I say the word devil, you're thinking of a little guy on a canned ham, the deviled ham can. He, he's, he's red. He's got big teeth. He's got two wicked looking horns on him. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to think about him because it's more like a caricature. It's more like a cartoon figure. And who believes in a cartoon figure? In fact, many people today don't even believe the devil exists. But you ask them, they believe in God. They'll say most, most Americans will say, yes, the majority will up in the 80 to 90% will say they believe in God. But you ask them if they believe in the devil, it gets down in the 40% range that don't even believe in a real devil, a real Satan. So he's saying, wake up and understand that he is real and that he's around and he's probably not as scary as you think. Looking anyway, that's what I meant to say. I heard of a lady who was sick of her husband's drinking, so she decided to teach him a lesson. She dressed up like Satan. And when her husband returned home from one of his drinking sprees, she jumped out from behind the sofa and screamed at him. And he didn't even flinch. He said, you don't scare me. I married your sister. <laughs> Second Corinthians eleven fourteen says that Satan masquerades himself as an angel of light. 
so he's going to be nice looking. That's why you wouldn't recognize him if you saw him. But one way you can recognize him is not by the way he looks, but by his voice or what he says, because he's always, always, no exaggeration, always a liar. How do you know? Jesus said it. Jesus said in John 8, the devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And Satan has convinced people to believe his three biggest lies. The first one is that he doesn't exist. Well, I want you to know he does exist. The second is that, he is, that evil is good and good is evil. Now, that's not going to happen, is it? That's not going on right now. People call good evil and evil good. And the third lie is you can sin and you will not suffer because of it. That sin is okay. God doesn't look at sin the way he used to. He's changed his attitude about it. And you can sin and get away with it. Those are the lies that people believe today. And so it's time for believers to wake up and be alert of what's going on around you. Now, I want us to look at him for a minute. Let's talk about the adversary of the believer. In fact, Peter calls him that, your adversary, the devil. Our enemies are not flesh and blood. We may think they are. We may think our problems in the world today are other people, whether they be neighbors or parents or friends or whoever. That's our problem today's people. Your problem today is not people. It's not flesh and blood. It's principalities and powers of darkness. And you need to understand that as a child of God, you're under attack. Now, let's, let's talk about the person of Satan. Who is he? <clears throat> now, here's some things I want you to understand. He's not omnipresent. Now, listen to me carefully. Satan cannot be everywhere at one time. The chances are you've never been bothered by Satan himself. I mean, why would he mess with peons like us? He can can only be one place at a time. Now, he's got a third of the angels that fell with him, the demonic forces. So you've had a lot of demonic attacks, or you've had a lot of what we'll give him the the blame for, satanic attacks. But if you think Satan's walking around following you, he's probably not, but he's got lots of help. He's organized. The scripture shows how organized he is. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at one time. He is not omniscient. He does not know everything. I personally don't believe he can read your thoughts. Only God can do that. Because he's a created being. He's a fallen angel. So I don't believe he can read your mind. I really don't. I I believe that he knows our weakest points because he's watched us. Or they, they know our weakest points and they can attack us at our weakest point. But Peter doesn't really describe a lot about him. He just says, look, here's what he does. He roars like a lion. He doesn't really say he's a lion. He says he roars like one. He's a powerful being. He's a powerful creature. He walks about. He's active. 
How do we know? In Job 1, God and Satan were having a discussion. And when the Lord asked Satan what he had been doing, God knew what he'd been doing, but he asked it so they'd write it down. Here's what Satan said, Job 1, 7, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. We know in 1 Corinthians, he's called the prince of the power of the air. And so we know that he's going around all over the earth, and we know that he also is completely evil, completely evil. Now, here's what I also want you to know. There's not a demon behind every bush on earth. If you eat too much and you get indigestion, you get indigestion. That's not the demon of indigestion. <laughs> so Tums does not rebuke the demon of indigestion. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't want you to be paranoid. I don't want you walking around being afraid of everything because they don't dwell every place. In fact, I don't believe they dwell in inanimate uh, 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 objects that are not alive. I, I believe they can possess unsaved people. They cannot possess saved people. I believe that they can influence a lot of people. I do believe he's got a plan. I don't know all the details of his plan, but I'm going to suggest to you the plan of Satan that he has organized. I'm going to suggest to you that he's got a plan for three different groups of people. So we've looked at the person of Satan. Now let's look at the plan of Satan. There's a plan for the unsaved. The people without Jesus Christ are the unsaved. If you've never received Christ, you've never committed your life to Jesus, you've never trusted him by faith, you are unsaved. You are lost. You're condemned. And what does he do to these kind of people? Well, he didn't have to do much because he already has them. First of all, he detains them. Detention. Listen to Ephesians 2. Listen carefully. This describes you. And you, he, capital he, Jesus, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. You once walked according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Satan owns the unsaved. He has them. He detains them. Every person that you know that does not know Jesus personally as their Savior, you've never received Christ they're already detained. They're already captured. They're already condemned. Isn't it sad? All the people that you know that don't know Jesus, Satan, they walk according to the prince of the power of the air. He has them. He's the second thing is darkness. He blinds them. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, whose mind the God of this age has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God should shine on them. He loves darkness. You know what darkness is? How, how do you make darkness? 
you don't make it. All darkness is, is the absence of light. And you have dark. Now, you can create light. You can make light happen. God created light, obviously. But without light, there's dark. He loves darkness. People who don't know Jesus live in darkness. Spiritually speaking, they're blind. He, he blinds their eyes to see the light of the gospel. How many songs do we sing that I've seen the light of the gospel? I've been redeemed. I've been made free. I've been set free. We've, we've had our eyes open to the gospel. Aren't you glad that you know Jesus? Aren't you glad that your eyes have been opened? Aren't you glad that you now are no longer captured in darkness the scripture says that Jesus came and that men love darkness rather than light. That many people have refused him. Lions like darkness. They hunt in the dark. But Satan can't do much when the light of God's word shows up. That's why Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. We are the children of God. We are the light in the world of darkness. The people without Jesus, the only light they see, you and me. That's a scary thought, isn't it? We're the only Jesus some people ever see. The third thing is destruction. They're doomed. John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life that might have it more abundantly. Every person you know or acquainted with that does not know Jesus is headed to hell. I don't know how to be more blunt than that. They're already condemned. They will, and this Destruction will not be annihilation. It will be eternal separation from God. And where God does not exist, there is darkness. So the unsaved, he's got a plan for them. He's trying to hang on to as many of them as he can. He wants to, he wants to take everybody with him that he can. He's got a plan for believers. Oh, really? Well, you know, he can't possess. Demons can't possess believers. But don't think he won't bother you. Don't think he's not real. Don't think he won't try to, to create all kinds of issues in your life. What does he do? First of all, disturbance is one of them. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You ever feel disturbed? Let me ask you this. Do you ever start thinking about what you've done in your past? Does it bother you? <laughs> Does it bother you? Are you awake? Let me go back and say, let's be sober and be vigilant. First John chapter 2, verse 1 states that we have an advocate. An advocate is a defense attorney. Why would I need, why would you need an advocate? Because we are being accused. 
Satan is the accuser. You're no good. You will never amount to anything. God cannot forgive you. You've blown it this time. All kinds of things that come. I don't know. I don't believe they're from God. So those thoughts that occur, I don't know that they're from, they're not from God. I, I believe they're coming from the evil side. And Jesus can step in and say, I've got you back on this. I've got you covered on this. <laughs> You've been forgiven. All of it's been forgiven. Satan will say, there's some sin that you can commit that no one will ever forgive. Jesus said, I've covered it all. I paid it all. You're covered. You see, Philippians 4, 7 says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. But that doesn't mean, why would he have to guard them? Because we're going to be attacked at times. Or have thoughts at times. And, and you can rest assured that anytime God tells you to do something or leads you to do something, that you're going to be given the option of disobedience. Because every time God tells us to do something, isn't it amazing that the option of not doing it is always there? Or there's another option? And Satan, he doesn't have any new weapons. He's got his old, same old toolbox. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father. Now there's his tools. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You go all the way back to the garden. When God told Adam and Eve, Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can have everything else. Lust of the flesh. The fruit looked good for food. Lust of the eyes. She saw that it looked good. The pride of life. If you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. Same stuff today. The same old tools are there. The same old disobedient tools. And everything that we try to do, I will tell you this, Satan cannot make you do it. He can't. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, 1 John tells us. He can't make you do anything, but he's going to give you lots of options. <laughs> and they're always there. And the third way is defeat or, de or uh, discouragement. Notice back in verse 8, it says, Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, when you hear the word devour, you're thinking about eating your favorite dessert. You devour your favorite dessert. Sometimes you chew it. Sometimes you inhale it. That's not what this word means. The word actually means eat down. Take a bite out of you. Eat down. It, 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 Satan can't own you, and he can't devour you. He can't consume you, but he can eat down on you. He can take a bite out of you. He can make you miserable at times, and it seems like he does a pretty good job. He can defeat us or discourage us. He loves weakness. 
Have you noticed on the, in the documentaries when you see a lion or a leopard or something like that's about to attack a herd that he always looks for the weakest place, the weakest animal. He looks for the one that's isolated or weak. But Satan has a way of, of shutting down our thinking of, of discouraging us and saying, well, you know what? It's going to be much worse than you ever thought, and it's not going to happen. It's not going to be effective. God's not using you right now. Nobody's responding, blah, blah, blah. He defeats us. He discourages us. And, you, and you know, I want to tell you, even some of the most godly people in the Scripture got discouraged. They weren't perfect. They didn't have it all together. In fact, you find them writing and questioning and wondering. And you and I are in a war. And believers are in a war. You don't have to walk around being afraid, but you need to keep your eyes open. You need to be, you need to be aware of what's going on. And then you know what? Satan can also have a plan for a church. A church, a, a body of baptized believers. That's what this is. A group of people who place their faith in Jesus Christ have been scripturally baptized. That's what a church is. That's it. It's a body of believers, a group of people. Now, what would he want to do to a church? Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says, And all the, the believers were in one accord. They were together. In Psalm 133, it says they were dwelling together in unity. So one of the things that he can do is try to divide a church. And boy, he scores a victory. When, when you've got a church that's divided, it cannot be moving forward, bringing people to Christ. And, and think of all the different ways he can divide us. I mean, look at, all, look at all these people. All of you like different colors or you all have the same color on. You, you like different football teams. You, you like different foods. There's a lot of things that divide us, but what keeps us together is that we know there's only one way to be saved. That's through Jesus. We know there's only one Holy Spirit. There's only one baptism. There's only one faith, Jesus Christ. We believe in the exclusivity of Christ. That binds us together. But Satan will do everything we can, he can, to divide us. And it's usually over trivial things. Somebody, should I say it? I'm going to get this cross one way or the other. Somebody got my seat. Somebody didn't speak to me. Somebody overlooked me and so forth. And you know what? That's the problem when you're dealing with sinners. They will always let you down. But when you divide a church, he scores a major victory. You know, another thing that happened to church is diversion. What is the mission of the church? I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read it to you. Now, and this is important. Matthew 28, last words recorded by Matthew, the words of Jesus. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
So the mission of the church is to bring those without Jesus to a saving knowledge of Christ. I know that the Holy Spirit leads them in conviction, but we are to take the gospel to the people. And then we are to teach them the ways of the Lord. Now, what I'm about to say can be really easily misunderstood and make some mad, but I want you to understand something. Today, there seems to be an emphasis that the church exists to deal with all homelessness and poverty, that we're supposed to fix all of it. I'm not against helping people. I'm not against helping people. But the main mission of the church is not to eradicate poverty or to eradicate hunger. Yeah, we've got resources. Yeah, we're supposed to help when we can. But do you think we can fix all of it? No. Jesus said they're going to be with you always. The, the hope they have is that in their poverty and in all of that, you bring them the gospel. Now, don't come saying, well, you got to feed them first. I understand that. I, I agree with you. But to say, well, we ought not to be doing anything but helping the poor. That's not our commission. Our commission is to take the gospel to people. And this social ministry seems to be raising its head again now to saying that that's all we're about is helping other people. I'm all for it. Y'all understand? Kind of reminds me of a a man who, who bought a new hunting dog and he was eager to see how he could perform. So he took him out to track a bear. And no sooner had he gotten in the woods, the dog picked up the trail of a bear. And suddenly he stopped, sniffed the ground and headed in a new direction. He caught the scent of a deer that crossed the bear's path. A few moments later, he halted again. This time he smelled a rabbit. He took off after the rabbit and so on and finally till he couldn't find the dog. And when he finally found the dog, heard him barking, he had cornered a field mouse in his hole. <laughs> Started out tracking a bear and now he's, he's cornered a field mouse. Well, churches can do that. They can become country clubs. They can become so internally focused. They can become so socially ministry focused that they forget that our ministry is to share the gospel and to make disciples to teach them what Jesus said. And the last word, I had to use a D, so I used the word disaffection. You don't use the word disaffection, but it's a real word, and it means without love, with hostility. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. And I want to tell you, the love that we have in a congregation, we must continue to work on. In fact, we're told to guard the unity that we have. Why do we we tell you in Philippians to guard it? Because it can be under attack. So how do we stand? What's the action that we're supposed to take as believers? Verse 9 says, resist him. And I've already mentioned sober up in verse 8. And by the way, that word is used over in chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 4, verse 7, it says, But the end of all things is at hand. 
Therefore, be sober, be serious, and watchful in your prayers to be wide awake. That's the same word. So I'm telling you to be watching for him. And it says be watchful. You've got to realize who the real enemy is. To be, to be awake, to understand what the enemy does. It's a made-up story. So in case you just wake up in the middle of this, I don't want you to think it's the truth. <laughs> a young executive dreamed that he died and stood at the gates of heaven. Key word was dreamed. Peter asked him, do you want to go to heaven or hell? And this young man said, well, what are my options? Show me hell. This giant screen came up. On the screen were beautiful girls and well-built guys all playing volleyball on the beach. Coolers are iced down with drinks. Everybody's wearing name brand clothes. They're driving a BMW. They, he, then he said, well, show me heaven. Same video. It pans up. There are old people sitting on benches, feeding the birds and playing checkers. <laughs> Angels are singing in the background. The young man said, that's very nice, but I think I prefer to go to hell. Immediately, he's plunged into the lake of fire. And in agonizing pain, he hollers at Peter, hey, where's the beach and the girls? And what about the drinks and the cars? He said, sorry, what you saw was a demo tape sent by Satan. <laughs> now, isn't that the way Satan does? He, he makes everything look so glamorous. He says in verse 9, you need to resist him. What that means is, don't give him an inch. Resist doesn't mean you give him some space. You don't give him an inch. It says to be steadfast in the faith. Have a solid foundation. When you look at the weapons of our spiritual war in Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about the helmet of salvation and <clears throat> the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel. There are two offensive weapons. Really, one's listed. It's called the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And prayer. How are you going to stand against the Satan? You've only got two options. The word of God and prayer. He can't handle either one of them. He can't. So if you don't ever read the Bible, young people, if you don't ever read the Bible, how do you know what's a moral issue with God or not? How do you know? You don't. And if you don't ever pray, Satan's not scared of you. Because the weapons you have in prayer, you're talking to the lion of Judah. Not somebody who acts like a lion. And it also says to remember. Verse 9 says, knowing the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood. You're not the only ones being attacked. Every one of us are being attacked. Which leads me to close with this. When you see the animals... The films of the animals that are attacking a lion, for example, they look for an isolated animal, one that's away from the herd. 
that's who they're going to attack. Now, when the herd stays together, many times it can stand against a lion because they, they outnumber him, especially if there's offspring involved. They're going to defend them. And you see, you see that all the time you, on documentaries. You see them, if they don't take off running, they'll stand and they can, they can fend them off. When you separate yourself from the herd, you're more vulnerable. When you got up to come to church this morning, you didn't think, I'm going to join the herd did you? Which herd do you go to? I'll go to the 931. But in reality, in reality, don't you gain encouragement by seeing these other people in the herd that you're not isolated, you're not by yourself, you gain encouragement. The herd knows they have the combined strength to ward off an attack. They have a sense of security because they're looking around. And we're to help one another. We're to guard one another. We're to protect and love one another. We have a herd. And the last thing I say is that it says he walks like a roaring lion. He's not the lion. Revelation 5, 5 says, but one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. One day the lion of Judah will come. He will put this guy masquerading as a lion in his place. If you don't know Jesus today, why don't you? Why? What, what are you waiting for? He loves you. He will forgive you. He'll open your eyes. He'll save you. He'll, for, he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What are you waiting for? You turn from your sin and you come to God. If you don't have a church, you need to get in a herd. This may not be the herd for you. There's a lot of other pastors around here. You need to find one of those herds and get be part of it. Because I want to tell you, you isolate yourself, you, you become more vulnerable. Would you pray with me? Thank you for that valuable message, Pastor David. Here in chapter 5, Peter gives us a serious warning about the agenda of our spiritual adversary, Satan. For unbelievers, it is to possess, to literally own. For Christ followers who cannot be owned, it is to oppress, to steal joy and victory. For the church, it is to distress, to create turmoil and division. But Peter reminds us that if we remain steadfast in the faith, we can resist the enemy. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.